boys are back in town. <laughs> back for a special edition of Repeat Until Funny. So, back to normal. Back Me, to normal. James, yep, plus special guest, Calvin. DOG, Calvin, <laughs> our dad's dog. Now, the, the, the rationale behind this special episode is we both sort of head in separate directions pretty soon. I go to uni, you go back to uni. Mm-hmm. And... We, this weekend, are sort of looking after our dad's dog. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about the dog? Because um, you're a bit of an animal lover. I'm a bit of an animal lover. Not in that way. No. No, in the... In the not in that in, way. In the, the, in the good, good way. Yeah. In the, the, good, the innocent... The innocent fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, Wholesome. Well, he's a dog. Chocolate lab. Uh, insane, obviously. But I don't like saying... Cal- what, so his name's Calvin. Yeah. Also known as... Also known as the General... Uh, what are his other ones? He got the, the Babadook recently. Babadook. Babadook. For no reason. Uh, the Duke. We had loads of names. Calzone. Calzone, yeah. yeah. And I suppose, what what kind of things do you... Because I don't really care about... You're not a big fan of dogs. The dog. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um, what kind of things do you do for this dog? Take it for a walk? Take it for a walk. Um, pick up its crap. Yeah. Which is... Vile. Well, we don't need to get into that. Just horrible. It's a family podcast. <laughs> um, look after him, care, sit for him, play with him. Where does he sleep? Uh, well, he usually sleeps on my bed. Yeah. yeah. And I suppose the the fundamental question of this podcast is how did it get to this? <laughs> what happened? How did it get to this? Because after all, British are, and I think the, most of the world really, the Western world at least, are a nation of dog lovers. Mm-hmm. Almost a quarter of households. Not in that way. Not in that way, no. (laughs) Almost a quarter of households have at least one. Mm -hmm. And there's always those famous statistics that more money is given to like charities for dogs than it is for humans. So the question is, what is it about dogs that so appeals to humans? Why have we got to the stage where they mean so much? Mm We do need to. Distinguish between the Western view of dogs and the Eastern view of dogs. Yeah, yeah. You're an expert in. You know uh, someone with this? Well, you're an expert in uh, Japanese uh, nonsense. Yeah. Um, and by extension, Japanese, dogs. the whole of Asia. <laughs> um, we in the West obviously see dogs as our sort of companions, as a pet, as something to look after. Mm-hmm. In the East, they don't have that view so much. Uh, well, the. I can only speak about Japan, but they don't have dogs as much because they're very um, cramped populations. In fact, you know, like cat cafes and dog cafes in Japan. You know so, like are? those places where it's like a it's like a cafe, but there's loads of cats. In yeah, there. cats and dogs. Yeah, there. they have them because there's such a strenuous thing to get a pet. It's really hard to get a pet mm. because of there's so many rules around it. They have those, so people that don't have pets can just. Jump in. But they don't eat dog. No, in Japan. they don't eat dog. So where do they eat dog? <laughs> I think, uh, traditionally, they ate dog in Korea. And China. I don't know about China. Ch- maybe in maybe China. Maybe we're stepping on dangerous ground. <laughs> exactly. So we'll, we'll move swiftly on. Every bloody child. They don't eat dog in Japan. Hot dogs. Hot dogs, yeah. Let's talk about the origins of dogs. Okay. So we're going to do our normal thing, which is I've got three historical examples. And from those historical examples, we're going to hope to 
extrapolate <laughs> some <laughs> messages, some lessons, yeah. some things, some interesting little. We're going to ossify some lessons and calcify some knowledge. Yeah, and we're going to get a few tidbits. <laughs> um, but let's start by looking at the origins. So, paleontologists and archaeologists have determined that about 60 million years ago, um, a small man- mammal, a bit like a weasel, lived in an area which is roughly what we would call Asia. Okay. Now, they didn't eat this weasel. <laughs> it definitely not in Japan. <laughs> but it was called Myasis, or Myakis. And that genus yeah. became the ancestor of the animal known today as canids. Canids, yeah. Canids includes dogs, jackals, mm. wolves, and foxes. Yeah. Obviously, it develops, and the one that we know it in its first guise is really a wolf. Mm. It's likely that these sort of wolves and humans were actually almost rivals. Very similar in the way that they hunted and the way that they lived. They lived in small social groups. Mm-hmm. And do you, how did humans used to hunt? Do you know um, what their tactic was? They used to drive mammoths off cliffs. Off cliffs, yeah. yeah. So they essentially used intelligence mm-hmm. and cooperation... And it wasn't about speed or strength. Mm. They weren't like a, a cheetah which could chase something down and catch it. It's tactics. It's tactics, yeah. yeah. Thinking ahead. And dogs were, uh, wolves I should say, were pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. They hunted in packs. They had sort of leaders. They had strategies and tactics. And they would essentially, rather than try to outrun the animal, they'd run the animal to exhaustion. Yeah. So it'd be a mammoth or whatever. Well, they got tag teaming as I go out. So one yeah. runs around, then suddenly the other one comes in. So humans and wolves were essentially competitors. They were pretty much both top of the food chain, yeah. in an essence. Oh, wolves? Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's we're talking about, wolves. like, early... Yeah. Like, the... I don't know, whenever I see, you know, your Attenboroughs, <laughs> the wolf is never, like, up there. Yeah, but what eats a wolf? That's a good point. Exactly. So they're top yeah. of their food chain. The you know, if you would have... <laughs> Good point. <laughs> if you were to have um, like a wolf versus a lion or something, a lion would probably win. Yeah. But in terms of their own food chain, they're top of it. Yeah, okay. Makes what sense. began to happen is there's, there's obviously a problem there in terms of humans and wolves becoming friends because they're competitors. Mm-hmm. Or at least they're working at different ends. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not collaborative in any way. No. Well, rivals. Right. They both want the food and... But they don't, they're not like, oh yeah, let, we'll share the mammoth with wolves no. at this point. Mm. We'll take the wolves for a walk. Mm. They didn't do any of that. No. But what slowly started to happen was particularly sort of lone wolves. <laughs> like yourself. Like myself, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they would, um, lone wolf humans and lone wolves, wolves. Wolves. They would sort of come together by virtue of these lone wolves that were out of the pack would scavenge around human settlements. Yeah. And these would often learn things like if you sort of look like simpering at a human or you sort of lick their heels or whatever, they're more likely to give you food. Yeah. So slowly, again, over hundreds and thousands of years, you get this group of wolves who are very docile, very friendly, mm-hmm. and they're scavenging with alongside humans. And humans are beginning to take them in and see a purpose and use for them. But are they like... Are they just scavengers, or are they hunting with them? Well, that's what it develops to. They right. eventually become hunt, hunting partners. Yeah. So someone that goes alongside them and serves a particular purpose. And this is something that's going to rise throughout this podcast, is the difference between 
using dogs for practical purposes versus status symbols. Okay. So what ancient society would use dogs as a status symbol? Um, Egypt was cats. Well, ancient Egypt, they also used dogs. dogs. They thought dogs had godlike characteristics. Is it, is it because of that dog that you see on the side of the thing? Yeah, yeah you always like, see those, like, the pharaohs with the dog head or whatever yeah. it is. Like, it's like a mix between an anteater and a dog. Like it's a like coyote. Huge. It's almost like a coyote. Yeah. So we have things like... Um, the dogs were pampered by their own servants in ancient Egypt. Uh, they had jeweled collars. They were fed the choice diet. By the snowflake dogs. Exactly, yeah. Weak dogs. Yeah. Only royalty was permitted to own purebred dogs. Yep. And on the death of a ruler or a pharaoh, his favourite dog was often buried with him. Yeah. Like in the... the whatever I've, I've seen that in films and that. Yeah. So to sort of protect them in the afterlife. That's ridiculous. I don't know. With this dog, I could see <laughs> you being buried with it. What do you mean? Um, statues of dogs guarded the entrances to burial crypts. Mm. Um, and such relics are clearly a testimony to the fact that they've given this dog a real importance. It was more than simply a tool or something to help them. It had status in and of itself. Mm-hmm. What is selective breeding? Uh, so if you've got uh, a medium-sized dog and a slightly bigger dog, mm-hmm. and you breed them together, hopefully you get a bigger dog. So when we talk- and then you get two big dogs and breed them, it gets an even bigger dog. So when we talk about um, the difference between working dogs and status dogs, mm-hmm. what would you breed a working dog to do? Oh, you know, a big brute thing. Yeah. Like, like a bulldog. Bulldog. So what, so what are bulldogs used for? Uh, Hunting bulls. Yes. <laughs> so they like, um, what well, they, they jump up and bite yeah, from the... Bite the... That's why they got that nose chain, isn't it? The, the nose ring, yeah. yeah. So the bulldogs could get them. So you, you would breed different types of dogs for different purposes. Mm. So uh, sort of fleet... Very low dogs, mm-hmm. like sheep dogs, they would be for herding sheep because they could nip at their, their heels and things like that. Yeah. So they were bred to be small and agile, and to be able to nip at the sheep's heels. Mm-hmm. You had sort of longer, shorter, thinner dogs. They were to go into, like, badger holes. Oh, not the and, sausage dog. Yeah, well, not the sausage dog. I was going to say that's a joke of the dogs, but... the most pointless dog. And we're going to look at some dogs which were bred for a purpose, which had mm. now been... which are now extinct, essentially, because okay. that purpose no longer needs to be served. Right. And then you would have sort of... Like you say, big squat dogs for either guard duties or mm-hmm. protection, and you would get all these these different types for for separate purposes. Mm-hmm. So herding and guarding dogs, the terrier breed, which was to get rid of um, rodents yeah. in barns. That's clever. Uh, pointers, pointing dogs, and retrieving yeah. dogs to. Retrieve things. Retrieve things. Yeah. <laughs> there was a type of dog called the turnspit. Oh. Now no longer with us. Mm. What do you think the turnspit dog did? The turnspit? Yeah. Um, Break it down. Did it? The dog's left. If you were to have like a suckling roast. Yeah. Did it turn the spit at the... Yeah. Did it really? It did. So here That's is a, a picture of a turnspit dog. <laughs> little face. So it's essentially you can see the spit, which was like a big stick mm-hmm. with um, a bit of meat on it. Yep. And 
prior to the introduction of the turnspit dog, which we'll describe what it does in a second, mm-hmm. meet in the 18th century, in England this is, always in England. Always we in England. only talk, we about, only talk about England. Uh, it was usually turned on a spit by a human, yeah. often a young boy, mm-hmm. um, protected from the fierce heat, because it's really hot by the fire, yeah. by like a... a a shield, like a, a shield of like mercury or something. Like the bubble boy. <laughs> like the bubble boy. Yeah. Um, and it was soaked in water. Yeah. Then um, they bred this kind of dog specifically mm. to like, well, it's almost on a hamster wheel. Yeah, it's, it's just a, like a hamster wheel and it's running around and it's, there's wires. Yeah. It's like a pompadour sense. <laughs> so it would run around this wheel and that would turn the spit. And it would take yeah. at least three hours for a large side of beef to roast properly that's all work so what it would do the dog would turn it hundreds of times it would get beaten by the cook just mm. to make sure it kept doing it mm. it was so exhausting that sometimes they kept two dogs didn't get one drop dead well yeah or they do, do shift oh, shift right. work they've been described and it's quite hard to see in that image mm. extremely bandy legged mm. uh, with long bodies and rather large heads yeah uh Apparently, it was a weird thing in these dogs. They had the iris of one black eye mm. and the other white eye. But you see that quite a bit, though. Yeah, dogs, so you? maybe that's a result of the turn spit. Mm. Oh, yeah, so like really light shining in one and the other one yeah. you might see. Yeah. But I've no idea about how that will help you turn a spit. Sadly, though, that breed of dog only survived until around 1870. When they created the melee oven. Yeah, <laughs> the microwave oven. <laughs> All you had to do, you had to put dog <laughs> by the oven. Yeah, the melee dog. They got the meat, it just presses the button. <laughs> so, that is an example of dogs being used for almost a ludicrously specific purpose. Yeah. That is all that dog was bred for. It was bred to turn a spit to roast meat. Mm-hmm. But at the same time in England, in fact, slightly earlier, breeds are being desi- um, dogs are being bred as kind of playthings and companions to the rich specifically. Yep. So things like um, the Pekingese, which is a Chinese dog, mm. and the Chihuahua. Oh, yeah. They're bred to be what are called lap dogs. Yeah. Because they sit in your lap. Oh, that's it. That. Like they're just they're there for show. Yeah, they're there just as like a they're the worst kind of dog. Exactly, they're the worst. Um, this is not a new thing though, and as we say, right from the beginning, there's a dichotomy. Oh, between dogs as working dogs and dogs as status symbols. Yeah, you know, ancient Egypt versus you know cavemen hunters kind of thing. Yeah. In Europe, dogs don't really get lucky in that sense until sort of the 13th to 15th century. Working dogs form a union. (laughs) (laughs) Working dogs of the world unite. (laughs) Um, And pet keeping became popular among the rich, Mm -hmm. the aristocracy. And particularly noble ladies would keep lap dogs and the men preferred useful dogs. Yeah, cool. That says nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so the women were like, oh, we want a really pretty one. Yeah. The men were focused more on, you know, practical dogs for a purpose. But did the rich ones sort of want them as a status symbol as well, but they wanted to look, so like, reflect their masculinity? Yes, exactly. They don't yeah. want a sort of little tiny dog that yeah. yips rather than yeah. a sort of hunting dog. <laughs> Basset hound. Yeah. But pet keeping was not really accepted in Europe until the end of the 17th century. Mm. So quite late. 
and and that was really again only in the middle classes. Yeah. When do you think is the turning point? The turning point. Not the turning point is in the, the turn spit. Turn spit dog. dog. The turning point for people keeping dogs as pets on a big scale. Industrial revolution. Yeah. Yeah. What era would we call that? I would call that. Um, what era does everything happen in? The eighteen hundreds. What talk, think about monarchs? Victorian. Yeah. yeah. The Victorian <laughs> era. This is when like they really went mad about mm. dogs. Domestication on crack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so Many of the breeds were bred during the Victorian era. You started to have thoroughbreds and then being recorded as this is the breed, this is this breed, this is this breed. Yeah. Um, the Kennel Club was founded in 1873. The Kennel Club. The Kennel Club, right. yeah. And obviously, Cruff's Dog Show. Oh, yeah, I know Cruff. What's Cruff's? Uh, it's atrocious. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's a dog's dinner. Yeah. Um, it's... Just like a dog show. So they get all the dogs, all the mm. thoroughbreds, and they, I don't know, dance. Yeah, they and have they to do, do like, little obstacles yeah. to see what's the best dog. Mm. But again, it's not about practical purpose. Mm. It's about just enjoying dogs. Yeah. And Queen Victoria herself enters six Pomeranians into yeah. the Crufts Dog Show in 1891. What's so, a Pomeranian? God, no, it's kind of dog. Yeah, I can picture it. I picture a bunch of little circles tapped together. You know, like a poodle. Like a poodle, yeah, probably like that. Yeah. It couldn't turn a spit. Couldn't. Couldn't could save not turn its life. A um, <laughs> Dr. Philip Howell argues in his book At Home and Astray, Ooh. the domestic dog in Victorian Britain. He argues that it was the Victorians who invented the modern dog with a place at the heart of the family. What do you think that means? The modern dog has a place in the heart of the family. Uh, a place at the heart of the family. It's sort of... um. A dog's like a focal point, isn't it? Mm. It's, it's something that... So it I'm... gives everyone... A, it sort of glues everyone together. Yeah. You know, when, when mum's upset with dad, she can sort of talk to the dog. To the dog. And when dad's upset with mum... Kick the dog. Kick the dog. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he argues that second half of the 19th century, number one, the population is booming. Yeah. Particularly in London. And this sort of new middle class, because we're seeing a difference between... It's not just everyone working in a factory... Mm. versus like the super rich living in mansions there's a middle class yep we see the creation of like the home mm. as an identity mm. you know it's not like you live in a huge mansion or you live in a tiny house with 15 other family yeah you, yeah you have a family and a home you have your home it's like an, an oasis <laughs> of domestic bliss yeah. and what more do you want in an oasis other than a dog exactly at the same time um londoners are becoming increasingly disconnected from the natural world. Mm -hmm. So if you think about all the previous societies, things like dogs and horses were absolutely fundamental. Yeah. You saw them every day, you worked side by side along with them. Mm. Now, really, it's only horses that are doing things like carriages. carriages. And I think you could probably, if you looked at horses, mm. horses served an absolute purpose. And again, at this time, it was only really the middle class who had a horse just for pleasure. Yeah. But now that horses serve no real purpose they don't draw carriages or anything no now we see the rise in people going oh i've got a horse or just keeping horses for yeah. no reason yeah it's um again status symbol yeah i've got a horse racing them like dogs yeah fighting them yeah <laughs> that would be interesting you don't see fight. horse fighting do no, you? you never do. that would be dangerous <laughs> i just can't see how they'd 
you know, lay a hoof on each other. <laughs> well, they they buck up like that, wouldn't they? I guess it'll be the first one to spin round. But they can't bite like a dog versus dog. Yeah. They can bite, can't they? Can they can bite, yeah. But a horse can just kick. Yeah. It just needs... But if one manages to spin round, give it both barrels and well, back legs. If we could breed them. Yeah. The fighting horse. The fighting horse. <laughs> <laughs> you get like a little ticker tape thing, you get like the um, pit turning horse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that would turn... Turn this. Well, what do we need turning in the modern day? A bridge. Yeah. yeah, a couple of pit turning horses. Yeah, we've got electric. We don't need. Yeah, not come surely. on. Like, well, it's good. For, well, it's not good for the environment at all because you got to feed it. Yeah. Um, well, we'll keep. We'll, we'll work on that. We'll work on that. Uh, that's your homework. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they're becoming like animals in the sort of cities are disappearing. Yeah. You're not seeing as many as you used to. This is also because sanitation regulations. Mm. So they're worried we've had outbreaks of the plague mm. sort of in the. 17th century cholera cholera epidemics yeah. things like particularly this time cholera is a big one with John Snow and the whole pump and all of that stuff yeah. um, nonsense <laughs> so they're increasing sanitation regulations so they don't want dirty animals so yeah. the dairy cows that have previously been in the city that provided them with milk they go out outside the centre of the city they go out into the country abattoirs where they kill animals and livestock markets wet markets markets. they're moved out of the city Um, some places some places they're still there (laughs) spreading disease is that wrong (laughs) (laughs) maybe cut that out yeah I think I'll cut that out (laughs) sheep pigs geese they're no longer running through the streets Mm -hmm. as you see in like the old Muppet cartoon. Muppet cartoon, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even though that's set in the Victoria. Oh, they had frogs, pigs. <laughs> they're everywhere. <laughs> that gonzo thing. Yeah, aliens. <laughs> so as other animals disappear from the streets, the pet dog sort of fills that vacuum. Mm. Like, people like to see an animal now, now and again. Even yeah. if it's just like a duck, and people are like, oh, look, a duck. Yeah. Like, the dog fills the vacuum that people want to see some, some life other than just simple human life. Hmm. So dogs were kind of invited in from the cold of the backyard or the kennel to join the family at the fireside. Yeah. So they've gone from the kennel to the fireside. Just progress, isn't it? From the dog house to the house. <laughs> to the regular house. Then yeah. the rat goes into the dog house. Yeah. And it keeps keep keep moving, keep it moving. <laughs> so the dog becomes precious rather than productive. Hmm. It's no longer a tool, it's... A member of the family, yeah, kind of thing, and it's almost like a child in its reliance on the humans that surround it. Mm-hmm. It's in the bosom of the family, <laughs> no. <laughs> and it gain the dog has like it. Get, it gets like ra- rather than just being the dog, mm. it gets a name. Mm-hmm. It gets a personal narrative, so it has a story behind it. Like, we got that dog from the streets, it's a bit worried, it's a bit stressed, but now it's in our family, and, you know, it's got a real personality, it loves to yeah. chase mice and crap on the floor, and, <laughs> really you know, unique. eat food. <laughs> and it also, at the end of its life, it gets buried, it gets a mm. burial place, yeah. and we see the rise of cemeteries for pets. Pet cemetery. Which seems crazy, really. <laughs> it does seem bizarre. And there's also the emergence of, on the same level, an emergence of provision for homeless dogs. So whereas previously stray dogs would just run around the street and whatever, yeah. let them be. Yeah. In 1860 is the foundation of the Battersea Dogs Home. Really? Yeah. 1860? Yeah. Did they like go up to homeless people who had dogs? 
<laughs> they're like we can help you oh can you thank you so much I've been in the workhouse you know I've lost my legs and well we meant the dog we meant the dog so we're going to yeah just sort out the dog first and oh that's awful yeah and there, there is that and it chimes with today the idea that we're more willing to help out a dog in need than yeah. a human in need yeah the Times newspaper sort of satirised this and said that essentially human kindness would have its limits. And it sort of said, why don't we set up a home for rats? Yeah, you true. Know, why dogs are not rats? Mm. Which is an argument that can be made for, you know, we, in the West we have an aversion to the idea of eating dogs. Yeah. But in the East they're like, well, you know, a dog and a pig, they're very similar in terms of their intelligence. Why eat one and not the That's other? True. That's true. Also the whole East. It's not in Japan. Not in Japan. No. In, in an unknown country in the East that we don't know, <laughs> no. so we're not going to say it. We've heard they eat dogs. So we talked about um, owners mourning the loss of their dogs when they die. Mm-hmm. There's a reverse example, and this is our first historical example, a very famous one, of a dog called a Sky Terror, that was its breed, mm. called Grey Fryer's Bobby. Grey Fryer's Bobby. Let me tell you the story of Grey Friars Bobby. I'm excited. Let me weave a yarn. In 1850, a gardener called John Grey, together with his wife Jess and son John, I mean, this is all irrelevant, really. Some guy, John Grey. (laughs) Go on, make make it a thing. I can't be bored. He arrives in Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. He's not able to find work as a gardener, and he avoids the workhouse, so like... (laughs) You know, they've got the dog, the bassy dog's home <laughs> ten years later. But yeah. if you don't have a job, you have to go to the workhouse, which yeah, is basically exactly. like slave labour to earn your keep. Yeah. So he avoids that. And this is, I found this weird. So to avoid going to the workhouse, he joined the police force. That's strange, that. And what I was thinking, why, why do you think that is? Why, was the, why do you think the police force was so, A, easy to join, and B, undesirable uh, to join? 1850. Oh, because no one likes him. Why would no one like them? They, they had like a weird... There was a, they didn't like the French police because it was like the army and mm-hmm. they had like negative connotations with the police. The thing is that the police were a relatively new institution. Mm-hmm. So in London, the police had only been founded in 1829 mm-hmm. by... Do you know the Prime Minister? Oh, I do, but I don't remember him. Nickname for police? Bobby. is Robert... Yeah. Warpole. <laughs> Robert Peel. <laughs> Also known as Peelers. Yeah. So only in 1829 are the police force formally introduced in London. Mm-hmm. In Scotland, it's slightly earlier. So in Glasgow, they petitioned the British government to bring it in in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. So 1800, actually. Why is it earlier in Scotland? Why is it earlier? Just because they wanted to have the tighter grasp on crime oh, than right. England did. And England had more of a history of suspicion towards centralised government control. Yeah. Prior to this, the way that laws were enforced were as we've seen in previous um, podcasts, it was enforced through deterrence, through really harsh punishments, mm-hmm. and through volunteer... Like, citizens' arrest. Citizens' arrest, essentially. And it's only in the 19th century that the police force becomes a centralised government organisation, mm. administered by the government and taken care of by the government. But in its early years, people are very suspicious of the police. Mm. And they're desperate for more policemen, mm-hmm. and no one really wants to join because... Just think about it. In your neighbourhood, you're the policeman. Mm-hmm. And you're basically going to be dobbing in your neighbour. And it's right. not going to be for, you know, murder. It's just going to be for things like... Littering. Littering, yeah. yeah. Or, you know, dog owning a dog <laughs> illegally. Dog, or, illegally. 
<laughs> speaking not up your dog crap. Speaking ill of the Queen's what were her dogs? Uh, Pomeranian. Pomeranians. Yeah. Speaking ill of the Queen's Pomeranians. That's that's a death sentence. <laughs> but John Gray, Gardner, yeah. he avoids the workhouse by joining the Edinburgh police force as a night watchman. Mm. To keep him company during these long nights in Edinburgh, mm-hmm. um, he took on a partner. Not a human partner. Oh. No. A little Sky Terrier. His watchdog called Bobby. Bobby. Brilliant. Um, together, John and Bobby became a familiar sight. They were walking through the old cobbled streets of Edinburgh, keeping the peace. Keeping the peace. Um, they were doing it through thick and thin, winter and summer. Faithful friends. Man and dog. Bloody hell. I'm going to throw up in a minute. Um, John died. Oh. Horribly. Of tuberculosis. Ooh. On the 15th of February, 1858. And he was buried in Greyfriars Churchyard. With his dog. No. Um, Bobby was still alive in 1858. And he touched the hearts of the local residents when he refused to leave his master's grave. Oh. So John was buried and the dog stayed there. Mm. Through all weather conditions. Oh, just about to think of that future armor. It is like that future armor. Bloody horrible. So that was, he died in 1858 and the dog stayed by his side for 14 years. For 14 years he refused to leave the grave oh. through any weather. So that was in 1872 that Greyfriars Bobby died. Mm. 14 years after his owner. In, how, how long did he have him for then? Dogs only usually live up for Well, let's do years. the maths. 1850, he had him for eight years. Eight years? So and then the subsequent 14, 14 years. Oh, there's some holes. There are some holes. We're going to come <laughs> to those holes in a second. Um, 1867, so this was while Greyfriars Bobby was waiting by his master's grave, mm-hmm. grave um, day after day. A new law was passed in Edinburgh that required all dogs to be licensed to an owner. Okay. So this, again, we see the theme of it becoming more common to own a dog and you'd have to be licensed to own one. Yeah. But Bobby, of course, isn't licensed. And any unlicensed dog would be destroyed. Oof. That was the wording. Yeah. But Sir William Chambers, who's the Lord Provost of Edinburgh, so like the mayor, mm-hmm. decided to pay Bobby's licence and presented him with a collar, which had an inscription on it that said, Greyfriars Bobby, uh. licensed by the Lord Provost. And you can see a statue of the dog, which I think oh, I've got. I was going to look up something. I don't know if I think you you can see there's a statue of the dog, but you can also mm. see the actual chain itself at the Museum of Edinburgh. It even looks like the bloody fry yeah. dog. Yeah. yeah. Bloody hell. Um, mm. The kind folk of Edinburgh took good care of Bobby, but he still remained at the grave. He would never leave the grave no matter what anyone did. Baroness Angela Georgina Burdett Coots who is the president of the Ladies' Committee of the RSPCA. Hang on, the... Burdett Coots. She was so deeply moved by the story that she asked the city council for permission to erect a granite fountain after Bobby's death. They sculptured the statue from life, and it was unveiled um, in November 1873, where it still stands in in, um, Greyfriars Churchyard. And it is with that that Scotland's capital city always remembers its most famous... And faithful dog. There is an alternative view. That's probably it. There's a few holes in this story. They dig it up and eat all his bones. <laughs> um, the historian Jan Bonderson says that at this time, 
there were loads of what were called graveyard dogs, mm. which were basically stray dogs that hang, hung around in the graveyard. Oh, yeah. And what stray dogs would often do, they'd often be fed by visitors mm. and also by the curators, so like the owners of the graveyards, mm-hmm. so that they would just stay in the, the graveyard. Yeah, because what ground. Sorry? Good hunting ground. Good hunting ground, yeah, lots of bones. Yeah. <laughs> but there was a financial benef- benefit to both the curator of the graveyard, graveyard and the community to pretend that they're like waiting, that they're by their master's side. Yeah. And like you say, if we do the maths, the dog would have been like 20 years old. Oh, it's possible, not definite, that he could just be, you know, a graveyard dog that they pretended was waiting by his, yeah. his owner's side just to... Yeah. Depends on whether you you believe the sob story or you're a realist. But this goes to show this story at the height of the Victorian era that this connection between man and dog is really being created. Mm. Not as a tool, but as a loyal companion Mm. with almost superhuman loyalty that it will stay there forever. Wait, wait, what's the financial benefit of having dogs around the graves? What do you think? Uh-huh. Loads of visitors come into the place. They go, oh, a grave fries boy. People would come and see the dog wait by the grave, and they feed it. Yeah. And you know the the, uh, the graveyard would go. You want to just have a look in the gift shop? We've got, uh... <laughs> we uh, we can ing- you know like those little plates that they have that have your name on it. Yeah. Can engrave your dad's name into the <laughs> grave, which Bobby will come in mourn by. <laughs> Little Bobby figure. And people would come from all over Scotland and England to come and see Greyfriars Bobby. Mm. So it's a big boost to the local community. Oh, I see, I see, yeah. But dogs as friends, dogs as real loyal companions. Which brings us on to our next uh, <laughs> example, the Nazis. <laughs> I think I saw on the photos, I was like, where's he going with this? <laughs> we spoke about the Victorian era, uh-huh. where the creation of this, the dog, the modern dog, mm. as a companion, as a member of the family. The Victorian era, as we know, was an interesting society, one of big divides, best of times, worst of mm-hmm. times, hugely, hugely rich, hugely poor, and also the birthplace of, like, not necessarily the birthplace, but the acceleration of British democracy. Mm-hmm. The Nazis, by contrast, is clearly a highly racialist, um, incredibly, ex- well, it's, it's an extreme society. A bit like a modern-day Britain. Yeah, a bit like Donald Trump. <laughs> and I don't think I need to mince my words when we can both say that the Nazis, not good. Not good. Not good. I'm, I'm, I'm sticking my neck out a bit. Yeah. I'm not a fan of the Nazis. Yeah. And, you know, for those people that say they were just following orders, <laughs> you know who else was just following orders? Hitler. Hitler. <laughs> but the Nazis had... A very strange policy on animals. Yeah. When we think about their policy when it comes to human beings, anti-Semitic, the final solution was the removal of all Jewish people from uh, the German homeland. Mm-hmm. So highly racialized, the idea that some human beings are greater than others. Eugenics. Eugenics, the idea of... What is eugenics? Uh, it's, it's like dog breeding. Mm. Yeah. In what sense? Humans. It's like... Um, well, if I take the example of the Nazis, mm. Nazis wanted the super race, which was white... The Ubermensch. The Ubermensch. White, brawny, blonde hair, blue eyes guy. So mm. if you breed all of them together, not all the guys, because that wouldn't make sense. Yeah. So you wouldn't be able to... Although you... Ernst Rom, the yeah. leader of the SS, uh-huh. um, he was gay. Really? Yeah. O- openly gay. 
How'd he get away with that in Nazi well, Germany? Well, the Na- like again, the Nazis were a real ragtag organization. You know, <laughs> like, like we said, like we said, um, the sort of idea of racial purity, blonde hair, blue eyes. Not one senior Nazi had blonde hair, blue eyes. That's true. Hitler, Himmler, Goebbels, Goering, not one of them. They did all look like a bunch of losers. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they really were though. The scrawny losers of the nun. Uh, they were the losers that have been kicked down too many times and now yeah. rise with this sort of populist message. Yeah. But you, yeah, eugenics is trying to breed humans, basically. Mm. To eliminate the weakest in the batch and mm. to promote the strongest. Yeah. Um, with animals, you'd think that a, a, a state, a political party that was so abhorrent in their treatment of human beings... And it's not just Jewish people, of course, it's any ethnic minority. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Romani gypsies were terribly treated. Homosexuals were terribly treated. Except for that guy and in pe- uh, Well, Ernst Rom was eventually, in the Night of the Long Knives, removed from the... Really? Yeah. I, I don't really so know. So they did get rid of him. Night of the Long Knives um, is. It basically just got rid of him. Yeah. It was essentially it. I think they replaced the SA with the SS. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Nazis, horrible people. Horrible people. And again, we don't need to, I don't think we need to mince our words there. No. Um, if there's any Nazis listening, um, we don't like we, you. We don't apologise. Please, do, if you've left a five-star review, thank you. Thank you, first of all. <laughs> thank you, but I'm not sure we want that five-star review. Yeah. So. But don't remove don't it. Don't remove it, but yeah, I, will, so. I will remove it as and when. As and, as and when appropriate. Can't flip-flop, yeah. but um, I'm not a fan. But they had a very strange policy on animals. Ooh. Hitler, they famously, um, a self-proclaimed animal lover... Mm-hmm. Vegetarian, yeah. Didn't eat any meat. Um, he loved his dogs. He, he his favorite dogs were German shepherds. German shepherds, yeah. a breed of dog that's very obedient. Mm-hmm. They were used as guard dogs in the concentration camps, mm-hmm. and he particularly liked it because it admired the kind of ancestral wolf. Mm. And Hitler really liked wolves. He liked his friends to call him by the nickname Wolf. That's you can just imagine that him going, yeah, call me Wolf. Yeah. What? Excuse me. Wolf. Yeah, just call me Wolf. My friends call me Wolf. Do they? Do they? Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Talking to you. <laughs> yeah, just call me Wolf. And uh, his his headquarters in World War Two were named uh, the Wolf's Canyon and the Wolf's Lair. <laughs> yeah. Joe, where should I meet you, Adolf? Yeah. At your house? Yeah. What the Wolf's Lair? The Wolf's Lair. Well, no, your ha- no, Well, we house. call it the Wolf. The people are calling it the Wolf's Lair. Are they? Heard it. What no, people are calling it? No, people? because I'm Wolf. Yeah. What? I never knew. No, no, people are calling me. <laughs> people have been calling me Wolf. I've never heard. No, they've been calling Trust me Wolf. Me. Ernst. <laughs> Do I need to get the long knives out? <laughs> Again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nazi propaganda used the image of that we're laughing a little bit too much in the <laughs> Nazi, Nazi sector. Well, it's because they're so... When we talking about ludicrous Grave Friars Bobby, we were like, oh, that's yeah, so right, sad. Yeah. But... Nazis. <laughs> Their propaganda used image of the wild wolf mm. years before they took power. 1928, Joseph Goebbels, who was like their propaganda guru, yeah. he's the one who famously said, if you repeat a lie enough, it becomes truth. Yeah. It's not a lie. If you, you believe, believe it. Um, he threatened the democratic politicians of the Weimar Republic, which was the, the yeah. predecessor of predecessor of Nazi Germany, the Third Reich. During the election campaign, he said it would be like a wolf tearing into the flock of sheep. And five years later, they do topple the Weimar Republic. Mm-hmm. They also 
Um, their supposed love of animals was also revealed in their kind of race, racial mania, the way that they viewed different races. Yeah. Just like people, animals were divided into valuable and unworthy. Uh-huh. So essentially, this is how you need to think of their worldview. It's based on blood and race. Yep. So what is their number one? What do they call it? The number one. Their, their best race, the ultimate race for the Nazis. Aryan. Aryan race yeah. is the number one best race. So they think that some animals can be Aryan. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, an Aryan wolf is superior to a Jewish human. Oh, okay. Because it's based on the blood rather mm. than the species. Oh, okay. Wow. Big cats of prey, like lions and panthers, were really admired. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Goering actually kept a pet lion. Of course he did. And there's, there's videos of him playing with a sort of pet lion. Really? Yeah. Ooh. Whereas um, other animals like cats weren't seen as very good. So the Nazi writer Will Vesper, he characterised domestic cats as treacherous, false and antisocial. <laughs> he concluded that cats were the Jews among animals. Really? The yeah, cats? that's what he said. Wow. Yeah. He said they said they were treacherous because they like they attack songbirds. Oh yeah, they like songbirds. No, he's the cats attack songbirds. No, but did the Nazis... the Nazis like songbirds? Yeah, that's a weird one. This is all really summed up by um, a book written by a German historian called Jan Monhort, mm. called Animals in National Socialism, and they said they talked about this complicated view of animals. Mm. That sometimes they served as models, sometimes they served as images of the enemy, like mm-hmm. they said, the sheep. The rabbits. The rabbits, yeah. Sometimes they were just a means to an end. But ultimately, it's a very complicated scenario. So if we look at this picture that I'm just passing to James now, yeah. what is that picture? Uh, that's a picture of Hitler yeah. uh, looking over a sort of balcony with a... German shepherd's mind. So that's... Looking over the balcony as well. That's Hitler's dog, Blondie. Mm. Blondie. What do you call it Blondie? Blondie, yeah. B-L-O-N-D-I. It's a bit... I don't know. It's surprising. A bit gauche. Well, maybe, maybe like, you know, steel... <laughs> Wolfie. Wolfie. <laughs> I think that they dog... They can't call it Wolf. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's what everyone's calling him. You know, we've got two wolves here. <laughs> no, we've only got one dog. No, no but people are calling him Wolfie. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> Right. Yeah, Blondie, Wolf. Blondie, Wolf. It's not difficult, guys. <laughs> but if we look at that image, mm. and there's footage, and if you search on YouTube, like um, Hitler and Blondie... Yeah. Not one. Maybe incognito. Yeah, go into incognito. <laughs> that and clear history. Yeah. It's a very different Hitler to the one that is seen in the popular image. Mm. And you can see why, and it endures to this day... When you put a leader with an animal, it shows a different side of them. And it's yeah. really good stuff for propaganda. So it, it just sort of endears you to the public. It shows that you have that caring side. Mm. And when Hitler famously in the bunker in the final days of the war, there was him, Ava Brown, who he married in those last few moments, yeah. and his dog Blondie. Mm. And he uh, gave Blondie a suicide pill, yeah. along with him and Ava... Because he didn't want the Russians to basically hurt the dog. So, again, it's a really interesting point to make, the way that animals serve politicians and they serve society. Mm. And how 
deep and human that connection is that even for someone like Hitler, it can soften the image that he has. It is, and this is a hard sentence to say, is the best I've seen Hitler look. <laughs> That's, yeah, because he's sort of looking quite curiously alongside yeah. the dog, Wolf. Wolf. Two, do- two wolves. Two wolves in the wolf pack. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that, that kind of, it has a real human impact. It has mm. that gut feeling. And the way that they used animals to ossify and calcify the differences between the different races. Yeah. Our final example... I'll tell you what, if there's one thing that I've learned of all these podcasts is, cal- is what ossify and calcify mean. <laughs> Our final example is the dog called Laika. Ah, I know him. Her. Her. But how? Um, it... The, the first one in space. First dog into space. Mm. So we need to put a little bit of context on this. A little bit of flesh on the bone. A little bit of flesh. The space race. Mm-hmm. What was is that one of the eugenics things? What, the space, space race. The space, that was the yeah. top race. That was the top race. <laughs> um, so the space race was during the Cold War between yeah. America and the Soviet Union. And it's the idea that... Well, what is the space race? Uh, it's who could get space first. Yes. Yeah. And it came. It worked alongside the arms race. Mm. What was the arms race? It's who can get bigger most, muscles, bigger muscles, biceps, yeah. sums out, guns out. Yeah. Who can get beach body ready first? <laughs> um, it was like who can make the most nuclear weapons. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Why were they doing this? Why were the Soviet Union and America competing over who could make the most weapons and who could get into space? Because they were the only two real superpowers in the world. Mm. So they wanted to be like. The super, super bad. But why don't they just fight each other? Because if they fought each other, it'd be like the end of the world. Because mm. cause they, they were using nukes. Well, they weren't using them, but they were making nukes and threatening to use them. Mm. And if you fire more than three of them off at a time, there, there's going to be... Some, Mutually assured destruction, yeah. in, its, in essence. There'll be some ramifications. If you fire, then they'll fire and everyone's mm. going to get wiped out. Yeah. So things like the space race and things like... There was a whole chess race to see who could be the best chess players, mm. Soviets or Americans, and gymnastics as well. Mm-hmm. Soviet gymnast versus American gymnast. And uh, hockey, miracle on ice. Is that, yeah, yeah, hockey, yeah. yeah, yeah. Massive, like the, the Russians had a really good team. Mm. And the, the Russians won because they all worked as a team, whereas the Americans worked as a team <laughs> of individuals. Yeah. So you can see Soviet propaganda there yeah. having its effect. The space race and things like that are what Karl von Clausewitz, <laughs> very famous military figure, yeah. um, he said... Wait, what's his name? Cla- Karl von Clausewitz. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah you just, got it. It's just, just, just called it. Um, am I getting the pronunciation right there? Well, it's actually Klaus. Yeah, Clausewitz. Mm. He said that war is the continuation of politics by other means. And in essence, we could invert that. And we could say politics is the continuation of war by other means. Mm. In this era of mutually assured destruction, where neither side can really fire on the, each other for fear that they would be wiped out, mm. you need to find other ways to fight. Yeah. Other ways to, to battle. Mm. And James Oberg, who's like an American space journalist, historian, he said, success in space implies superiority on Earth. Yeah. So they were competing over who looks the most powerful. Well, it's, it's, it's bragging rights, isn't it? Mm. Just, it's, I've heard the sport is a continuation of war by other things. Yeah. And that's, that's all it is. It's just like, oh, we're better than you. Like, during the World Cup, 
No, it doesn't really mean anything. It's just people kicking balls. And all this nationalist ideas come to the fore again. It's like, yeah. well, we hate these, this team, or yeah. we hate that team. Giving ex- like, you, don't, you don't really hate the, you don't hate the country, but you're yeah. allowed to hate the team for the same reason that they used to hate the country. And the same way that the Nazis did things like the 1936 Olympics, to really mm. try and show off their, yeah. their prowess. Their ubermenches. And all the, the, the leaders came over, and they're like, oh, there's uh, Adolf. Nice to meet you, Adolf. Wolf. Wolf. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Let's go through it round by round in terms of like the, the space race. Mm-hmm. Round one was the, the challenge to make a man-made satellite. So mm-hmm. launch a satellite into space. We will get back to dogs in a second. <laughs> the USA creates a program in 1955. The Soviet Union is a little bit behind in terms of its program. Do you know who wins this, this battle? Who gets the first satellite into space? Russia. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what it's called? Um, Blyker. Sputnik. Sputnik. Ah, oh, I knew that. So they launched the first successful satellite in October 1957. Sputnik in Russian means satellite or oh. travelling companion. Oh. That's essentially what satellite is. That's good. Uh, the way that the USSR, so the Soviet Union, got it out quicker is they just cut corners. <laughs> they just basically launched anything into space. Yeah, fired it in there. Um, the USA was trying to build like a really scientifically sophisticated satellite. And... Mm. Um, Russia cut corner, not yeah. literally cut corners. It's like a yeah, yeah. It's like a TV with like a, those two areas yeah. sticking out. And they built they built the device in a month without using blueprints. Huge catapult. <laughs> <laughs> when they launched it initially, mm. so they got it out and you could hear it around. There was the a really it would just go beep, beep, yeah, beep. And this was amazing. People couldn't believe it. Yeah. But initially in the USA they weren't bothered really. Mm. So. Um, Bartenders would do things like sell the Sputnik cocktail, mm. which was, what do you think was in the Sputnik? Vodka. Yeah. And sour grape juice. Oh, that's good. Sour grape juice. That's good. Um, That'll learn president it. Eisenhower, who was the American mm. president at the time, yeah. he dismissed it. He said it was a silly bauble. Like, just <laughs> yeah. stupid. It doesn't mean mm. anything. But concern was building the idea that the USA was asleep. Mm. So foreign, uh, not foreign, internal opposition to Eisenhower, so people like LBJ, mm-hmm. Lyndon Johnson, who was big Whoa. in the Democratic Party. <gasps> well, Dog's got an opinion on uh, Lyndon B. Johnson. <laughs> Not a big fan. Um, he was trying to use it as a symbol of Eisenhower's poor <laughs> leadership. Hang on. Seems something outside or something. So you're at the beck and call, are you? have got to be at the beck and call. If I wasn't, you'd be barking at Lyndon B. Johnson every five seconds. Sorry, Wolf. <laughs> So Johnson was saying things like, oh, Eisenhower hasn't got a grip, the Russians are beating us because that kind of thing does well in the polls and makes the president look weak so you mm. can get elected. Yeah. So round one is won by the Soviet Union. Mm. They get the one. first man-made satellite. Round two is going to be animal in space. Yeah. Can I guess who wins? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that was in October 1957, they launched Sputnik. Mm. On the 40th anniversary of the Russian Revolution, mm-hmm. so November 1957, because yeah. when did the Russian Revolution happen? October. <laughs> but because, <laughs> yeah, of the because of the calendars, calendars yeah, yeah. 1917, um, they launched Sputnik 2. Yep. Ten times heavy, heavier than Sputnik 1. Mm-hmm. Two bleeping lights. Two bleeping <laughs> lights, yeah. Um, and the engineer, while the engineers were working on the design... Yeah. They also selected three stray dogs from the Moscow streets. All right. Brought them in. They didn't have Battersea Dogs Home or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> they brought in these three stray dogs called Albina, 
Mushka and Laika, mm. and they were tested and trained for the flight. Rigorous testing. Rigorous. Running on that treadmill. Yeah. Was coming off and <laughs> it was actually the whole Russian uh, power stations were powered by <laughs> dogs. Dog 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 <laughs> they call them Chernobyl dogs. <laughs> the Chernobyl dogs. Uh, the dogs were confined in small spaces. They mm. were subjected to extremely loud noises, vibrations, and made to wear a new spacesuit. <gasps> That's um, right. So all of those tests would sort of test whether they could survive in space. Mm-hmm. And though in one sense they were all winners, <laughs> in a more accurate, accurate way, sense. Laika was the winner <laughs> and was chosen to board Sputnik 2. Wow. Right before the launch, uh, she was covered in an alcohol solution. Okay. And painted with iodine in several spots so that sensors could be placed on her. Okay. Because they essentially wanted to see what happens with an animal in space. What does it do to the heart, the lungs, mm-hmm. all this stuff. They put her into a module, mm-hmm. and it was pretty small, but it was padded and had just enough room for her to lay down or stand. Mm-hmm. Couldn't run about or anything like that. Couldn't turn around in the thing. And I think I've got a picture, actually. Oh, that's horrible. Poor mm. <laughs> little thing. So there's a dog. You keep looking at that while I'm oh. in um, She also had access to um, special gelatinous space food, which will be fed through to her. Lyca translates, by the way, it means barker. Barker? Because it barks a lot. Oh, right. <laughs> For barking. Uh, and it was two years old at the time of the flight. So they launched Lyca in space. And Life magazine in America, so this is the American response, said... It was a birthday flexing of red biceps. Ooh. General public. So the US um, press responded, and again, this is a bit like, initially they weren't that bothered, but eventually Mm. it's like, this is actually quite serious. Mm -hmm. They called it Mutnik. Mutnik. (laughs) Why Mutnik? Mutt dogs. Yeah. Instead of Sputnik. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And America responded, and they said, right, we're going to launch our satellite. Because they've yet to launch a satellite yet. They haven't launched a satellite yet. They haven't launched a satellite. That's again. So they invited the press to Cape Canaveral on mm. December the 6th to launch their response. So all the cameras there rolling, yeah, yeah. everyone's watching, waiting. Um, and this Navy Vanguard rocket, it was called, yeah. carrying this satellite, lifted off the launch pad. Yeah. Launch pad, like plume of flame, <laughs> smoke. It rises five feet, four feet yeah. and then erupts into a fireball. <laughs> So complete disaster. <laughs> that was brilliant. The headlines the next day. Flopnik. <laughs> Flopnik, yeah. Dudnik. Yeah, good one. Kaputnik. Oh, Kaputnik. That's got to be my So favorite. the USSR, the Soviet Union, come out as absolute winners to this. Yeah. Laika is seen as one of the most famous dogs to ever live. Mm-hmm. It's listed among Time Magazine's 15 most influential animals. Wow. That's, Along, that's coveted. That is coveted. <laughs> Alongside Alexander the Great's war horse. Yeah. And Dolly the sheep. Oh, uh, cloning. Uh, cloning. Yeah. yeah. Surely it should be Dolly the sheep and the other sheep. Yeah, that's one. Cloned. Yeah. <laughs> it's featured in loads of Soviet propaganda, mm-hmm. but also on things like postage stamps, cigarettes, postcards, playing cards, mm-hmm. commemorative plates. Is it like the moose in the cigarettes? Yeah. With like a cowboy. That's a camel. Oh, it's Camel. Joe Camel. Joe Camel. Hence the name Camel Cigarette. Right. Not Moose Cigarette. Wolf Cigarettes. Wolf Cigarettes. It's the only non-human representation on the monument... This is in uh, Moscow, unsurprisingly. Mm -hmm. You hear the name. The Monument to the Conquerors of Space. At the Memorial Museum of Cosmonauts in Moscow. Yep. What's the difference between a cosmonaut and an astronaut? 
um, a cosmonaut. It's, a cosmonaut is Russian, an astronaut is American. That's it. Is that it? Yeah. Oh. They call them cosmonauts, an astronaut, and America call them astronauts. I mean, that's it. Laika, according to Alesa Turkina, mm-hmm. who's a senior research fellow at the Russian Museum, she said it came to symbolise... She, he... They said it came to symbolise <laughs> the hopes and dreams of an entire generation of Soviet people. Mm. But the true story wasn't revealed until 2002. Mm. Soviet scientist Dmitry Mashenkov mm. um, addressed the World Space Congress in Houston and revealed what actually happened during this launch, mm. which is not as they, um, they said mm. what happened. So this official Soviet line was they launched... Lyca into space. Yeah. She survived for six days and then died. Yeah. Like her or not. Like her or not. There was no inbuilt system to bring her back. Yeah. But she got up there, had the food, survived for six days, Dumb. and it was all fine. Yeah. Malishkov revealed that Lyca died from overheating just hours after the launch. Oof. So it never actually survived to get into space. Oh. Had died in the capsule. As you look at the little faces of the dog. That's horrible. In the I don't want to see that. But again, it's the dog as a symbol. Mm. As something that people can rally around. A little mascot. Yeah, a mascot. Mm. And that's perhaps an interesting way of looking at it. Dogs are seen as mascots. Yeah. As something for humans to all rally their emotions around. It's the centre of our society and our families in many mm. cases. Um, quickly to finish off the space race so that was round two round three was a man in space yep. so the Soviet Union won both rounds so far man made satellite animal in space yeah sort of who was the first person to get a man in space uh, it's got to be America yeah. no Soviet Union really 1961 do Americans just have really good press <laughs> like what are they do? well you'll see 1961 Yuri Gagarin becomes the first man oh I've heard space. of him yeah mm. um, he did get back did he yeah like an alien he didn't just burn up in the atmosphere <laughs> like the dog yeah. um, but again Lyca is probably more recognised and more memorable than Yuri Gagarin was mm-hmm. definitely round four man on the moon yeah America America so America perhaps wins the most significant of the battles whereas mm. Russia wins well they've got something to stick a flag in yeah can't stick a flag in space yeah, that's true. Mm. You can stick a flag into a dog. You can. And then die. <laughs> if you found, if you found Lycan, mm. sort of like hurled a flag <laughs> So, they are our three examples. Mm-hmm. Grey Friars Bobby. Yep. The Nazis. The Nazis. And the Cold War Space Race. And like that. That's what, one hell of a three example. <laughs> what is it then about dogs? What do we see from those... So let's go back to that, that thing we were saying right at the beginning. Status symbols versus mm. tools. Uh, well, they're brilliant tools. Mm. Like if you need them to do something, you can train a dog to do almost anything. Not, not like crafts, obviously. Yeah. Like, that's pointless. But... So yeah, I think you keep them around because of... Some people do like the history. Mm. Like I do like... Like, who would get a bloody Rottweiler unless they wanted to say, oh, it's an old fighting dog? Yeah. You know? Huge so status. Stuff. Yeah. Why do we like them? Well, they, they look nice. They've got big eyes. Mm-hmm. When they're tired, it but looks like But we bred them to be like that. Yeah. We bred them to appeal to our senses of what's good looking. 
Um, what about if there? Are, can we actually say that dogs as status versus dogs as a tool is not really a, a distinction? That dogs as a status are a tool. Yeah. In the same way that Lyca was a tool, yeah. as well as a dog of status. Dog of status. Um, I don't know. Dogs are, yeah, they're tools. Yeah. You don't. You never have one to not do anything. Yeah. Like they're there to make you feel better, or they're there to um, show off to other people. They're always used in a fashion. Mm. And I suppose how has our view of dogs really changed over time? Yeah. No. Yes. It's become more focused on their emotional function rather yeah. than their. That's what the main function. thing is. Yeah. So you you like to have them around. They're, just, they're fun. Are we, as a society, barking up the wrong tree? <laughs> <laughs> Are we barking? I will end on that. Uh, um, hang on. Oh. I think there's a thing to say in the fact that the toys we get them, you know? Yeah. Like, Carl's own here has got like a little duck, which he would give to like a kid. Mm. But in his mind, he's tearing out the throat of the, yeah, yeah. like a smaller animal. That's true. He's actually ripped out from the throat the little squeezer thing. We do like to uh, sort of anthropomorphise yeah. and make them seem like humans, give them birthdays and presents. Mm. And when they're, yeah, like you say, when they're ripping up a dog, a, a toy of a duck, we go, mm. oh, isn't that cute? When like, really, if it was a duck. It is a dog. Get a grip. Get a grip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but not of a duck's neck. Yeah. Um, right, let's finish with a quick quiz mm-hmm. of this special episode. Special. One off. One off. Yeah. One off special. We're all a bit older, we're a bit wiser. <laughs> Number one. Give an example of a dog that is now extinct but once served a useful purpose. Spit Turner. What was its name? Spit. Turner Spit. Spit Twister. It's like that. Turn Spit. Turn Spit. Not giving you that. Question two. Oh, we didn't really talk about this. But what sort of gender divergence emerged between the 13th and 15th centuries when it came for like what? What type of dog each gender preferred? Uh, the in the aristocracy. The, yeah, in the aristocracy, the women of the aristocracy liked lap dogs. Yeah, like show off dogs, and the men preferred functional dogs. Yeah, to hide their lack of masculinity. Yeah, yeah. Question three: What is the name of the dog that supposedly kept faithful vigil at the churchyard in Edinburgh for fourteen oh, years? Bobby. Bobby. Grave Master Bobby. <laughs> it's, it's like that, isn't it? Grave Friars Bobby. Grave Friars yeah. Bobby. You can have that. Yeah. Question four. What canine nickname did Hitler try and get off the ground? Wolf. <laughs> big wolf. Question five. What canine <laughs> did the Soviets successfully get off the ground? <laughs> Leica. Leica. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. And uh, the last question coming from me is, what is the name of the zoo... <laughs> that only contains one dog. You mean the animal that only ca- the zoo that only contains one animal? It's one dog. That's how it's you. Not. That's how you deliver the no, joke. The joke is, what do you call an animal? No, what do you call a zoo with only one animal? It's a shit zoo. Yeah, you don't say what do you call a zoo with only one dog? Yeah, you say dog. No, no you don't. S- you say I've got. I've gone to. I went to the zoo the other day and it only had one dog in it. It was a shit zoo. No. Yes. No, you don't. Yes, you do. That's way funnier than saying animal. No, it's not funny. No, because a dog, like you, like we've touched on, is domesticated, and having a exactly. Domestic- so why yeah. would it be in a zoo? Exactly, that's the point. It's a terrible zoo. It's got one domesticated animal in it. 
that we see every day. But that, 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 the funny bit is that comes in the punchline, not in the setup. Yeah, but you don't. You sort of see the setup and go, "Oh, where's he going with this? It's a shit zoo." <laughs> yeah, but that's it's obvious funny. once you say dog. It's not obvious once you say it dog. Is. Where is it? You say? When was the last time you said the word shit zoo? When I went to London Zoo. What does that dog look like? What does it look? It's like a little lap dog. Is it? Yeah. Look it up. Oh, it's a little lap dog. Is it? Yes. Do you not know? It's like a. Uh, yeah, Calvin. It's a horrible little dog. What do you think it looks like? Uh, I've got no idea. I didn't get that joke the first time because I didn't know that the shit was a breed of dog. Oh bloody hell! That's awful. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm right. No, I'm right. You're not right. Well, let's ask the audience. Let's <laughs> 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 So how are we going to end it? I think we just end it with that. Just raging on. <laughs> <laughs>